Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here in the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work and you can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Keith Flaw, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Brad, uh, Brad Palumbo is the uh, na- uh, national correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. He'll be joining us as well as Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. And the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be with us as well. It is October the 28th, and on this day in 1919, Congress passed the Volstead Act over President Woodrow Wilson's veto. The Volstead Act provided for the enforcement of the 18th Amendment of the United States Constitution, also known as the Prohibition Amendment. The movement for prohibition of alcohol began in the early 19th century when Americans concerned about the adverse effects of drinking began forming temperance societies. By the late 19th century, these groups had become a powerful political force, campaigning on a state level and calling for national liquor abstinence. In December 1917, the 18th Amendment prohibiting the manufacture, sale, or transportation of intoxicating liquors for beverage purposes was passed by Congress and sent to the state for ratification. In uh, January 1919, the 18th Amendment achieved the necessary two-thirds majority state of ratif- state ratification and prohibition became the law of the land. The Volstead Act, passed nine months later, provided for the enforcement of prohibition, including the creation of a special unit of the Treasury Department. I think it was called the Untouchables, if I recall. Despite a vigorous effort by law enforcement agencies, the Volstead Act failed to prevent a large-scale distribution of alcoholic beverages, of course, and organized crime flourished in America. In 1933, the 21st Amendment to the Constitution was passed and ratified, repealing prohibition. I think we should see some sort of a act uh, repealing the laws against uh, the use of marijuana as well. It would uh, eliminate a lot of the crime that was uh, kind of paralleled what happened in, in the 30s with the mobs in Chicago. We've got to hand it to the Biden administration in the face of dwindling public confidence in the economy and on the eve of a report of gross domestic product that is sure to fall short of lofty expectations of this past summer. They sent President Joe Biden out of the White House to campaign for Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe with a speech about how great the economy was doing. It's hard not to admire the sheer determination to make illusion triumph over reality, the same way one might admire a practiced musician pulling off an inexplicable card trick. This time, however, it doesn't seem to be working. It's hard to fool people into doubting what you can see with their own eyes. Are you going to believe your lying eyes, says Joe Biden? He didn't really say that, but that's pretty much what he meant. Prices are rising rapidly. Inflation has proven to be anything but transitory. The supply chain should be renamed for the shortage shackles. And the growth has gone dangerously sluggish. No wonder the latest Gallup poll shows 68% of Americans, including 72% of independents, think economic conditions are getting worse. One of the weird attempts at illusionism at last night's Virginia rally was Biden's claim that there are more people working today than there were prior to the pandemic. 
In reality, American payrolls are still 5 million workers short of where they've grown to in the, in the Trump era. <clears throat> That's certainly not a rounding error, 5 million workers short. By every measure, employment is lower now than it was in February 2020. Claiming otherwise is not going to persuade anyone the economy is doing great. It just makes Biden sound out of touch with reality. We're not uh, only uh, going to get the Commerce Department's first read of the third quarter GDP tomorrow, or that'll be today. We'll also get a read on inflation in the form of the Personal Consumption Price Index. The consensus is for 2.9% on GDP, and although the Florida Fed's GDP now model predicts 0.2%, PCE inflation is likely to come in around 5%, according to analysts at Bank of America. This may come as somewhat of a shock to many Americans who are told back in June and July that the third quarter would see growth around 7 or 8%. Some estimates were about 9%. All these estimates now have come down as it made clear that supply chain problems and inflation were far worse than anticipated. Consumer demand is still strong, but given the collapse of consumer confidence, this may not last. Boy, I tell you how, he's just taken a hammer and uh, to the uh, beanpole hammer to the economy. And uh, it's just not doing well. Well, as Democrats face a self-imposed deadline to pass a sweeping reconciliation spending bill and a bipartisan infrastructure plan, they appear in danger of doing neither. Again, President Biden is leaving the United States Thursday for an international trip that will include, among other things, a climate summit. The president made clear he wanted to have an agreement among Democrats about what the reconciliation deal would look like and to sign the infrastructure bill so that it could tout the climate provisions of both. Old Joe wants to look good there, even if he can't look good here. Here's the thing the president looked at sign in the eye and he said, I need this before I go represent the United States in Glasgow. Representative Ro Ghana, a Democrat from California, said on uh, Sunday, American prestige is on the line, he added. <clears throat> There's been nonstop talk. Senators... Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema were in the White House Tuesday, as was Majority House Whip Jim Clyburn, and uh, the Congressional Black Caucus was there too, where they said well, they had a full dialogue with Biden. And Democrat leaders are projecting sunny optimism. House Majority Leader Steny Hoya, de Democrat from Maryland, said Tuesday that a deal could be coming to together in a matter of hours. One did not come Tuesday, and it doesn't appear it's going to be coming this week either. Uh, some of the stumbling blocks on policies from Medicaid expansion to immigration to billionaires tax to the IRS bank account reporting requirement and more. We're not just doing everything today, Manchin said. The frustration is starting to boil over among some members. It's the effing progressives, one moderate uh, said. The moderate uh, accused progressives of asking for unreasonable things. Senator Bernie Sanders pointed the finger right back at him. He says, it seems to me most every sensible progressive revenue option that the president wants, that the American people want, that I want, seems to be sabotaged, he says. <laughs> Poor Bernie, he's out of touch with what Americans want. At least some progressives, meanwhile, are rejecting the idea pushed by Democrats that an agreement on a framework of a reconciliation bill would be enough for progressives to shift and lift their blockade on the infrastructure bill. They instead want a reconciliation bill text ready to pass through the House on the same day as the infrastructure because they don't trust moderates to hold up their end of the bargain. Well, no uh, no uh, honesty 
integrity among thieves, huh? It's not really about the sequencing. It's about voting with all, both of them on the same day, J-Pal, J-Pal said. So, in other words, what I don't want is a framework. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, California, disagreed when asked about whether a framework on reconciliation would be enough to pass infrastructure. Well, she said, I think it is. Other Democrats, meanwhile, appear more open to more, moving more quickly on infrastructure. I just don't think we're in a position to keep kicking the can down the road, Congressional Black Caucus Chairwoman Joyce Beatty said. Is it perfect, Beatty said, when she was asked about her feelings on the bill. We don't live in a perfect world, and we're not going to give you a perfect answer, but I'm going to give you uh, another P. It's called progress. <laughs> she knows and understands alliteration. That's pretty cool. So JPL claims that to have dozens of her progressive caucus members willing to tank an infrastructure vote without a reconciliation bill and with Democrats' tight margins, that's more than enough. It isn't mandatory that Democrats finish either bill this month. They can pass a temporary extension of federal highway funding to either the end of November or December to buy more time to pass infrastructure. But the longer t- talks drag on, the closer Democrats get to being caught up in December morass of deadlines on the debt limit and funding the government. And if talks drag beyond December, it's suddenly being an election year. And added pressures on members may cause the deal to break down. We can only hope. But for this week, all eyes will be on whether the House will uh, send the President to the Climate Summit in the United Kingdom with a win on infrastructure, or will it delay infrastructure for lack of reconciliation again, just like last month? I pray to God they don't, Manchin said Wednesday after another potential delay. The saga goes on, and the uh, infighting in the Democrat Party is just immense and very intense. We'll see how this plays out, but hopefully, my, my choice would be all, it falls like a stack of cards and just uh, completely uh, implodes these talks on these spending bills. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis touted Florida's milestone reaching the lowest coronavirus rate in the nation on Wednesday, highlighting the overreach of vaccine mandates. Without mandates or lockdowns, COVID-19 cases in Florida have decreased 90% since August, he said. In addition to cases, hospitalizations have plummeted in our state. This has been accomplished by making monoclonal antibody treatments and vaccines widely available through our state while protecting Floridians from government overreach, he added. According to the latest numbers, over the past two months, Florida's daily average has dropped to about eight cases per 100,000 residents, about 1,700 cases per day a sharp turn from its numbers in August when it was averaging 116 cases. Hawaii is a state with a strict entry policy, trails closely behind Florida with nine cases. So we're the lowest in the nation with none of these mask mandates, lockdowns, or any of these other uh, nonsensical edicts coming from governors in other states. Florida's case rates are now roughly half of California's currently COVID rates and less than half, a quarter of Vermont's both of which have vaccinate rate, vaccination rates of over 70%. Again, just want to applaud uh, Governor DeSantis' good judgment and uh, what he's decided to do with regard to our economy and our uh, public health care. Well done, Governor. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by... Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net.
Coming up, we're going to visit with Keith Law, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Brad Palumbo from the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Keith Flaw, co-founder of a terrific organization, the Florida Citizens Alliance. Keith, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Keith. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, we're a, a 501c3 uh, not-for-profit. Uh, we focus on K-12 through education reform. Uh, we have over 110,000 followers, uh, supporters, and uh, we're very active in what I call three pillars. The legislative pillar, which we're very involved with right now, and um, building community teams and and then, of course, uh, encouraging parents to get their kids out of government schools. And we spend a lot of energy highlighting uh, solutions for them to do that. Or uh, helping create uh, ch school choice, 
which is, I think you've done, again, I'll just say that I think the Florida Citizens Alliance, through your leadership, along with Pastor Rick, have just done a terrific job of gaining influence in Tallahassee, not only with legislatures, but with the governor and the Commission of Education, and uh, has really improved education here in Florida in the last couple of years. So congratulations to you. Thank you. Keith, uh, you know, uh, the governor has called a special uh, session for the legislators uh, in uh, Tallahassee. I don't know much about it. Uh, do, can you enlighten us on what's happening? Sure. Um, well, there's been a lot of uh, folks across the state, uh, both in government agencies and particularly in private businesses, that are being fired or threatened to be fired over not taking the vaccine. So last week, I think it was Thursday, um, the governor announced a, that he was going to call a special session in November. Uh, to deal with both the mask mandates and the vaccine mandates. I think the focus will primarily be on the, the vaccine side. Um, I've been doing a little bit of homework about special sessions. Um, there are two committee weeks in November. Uh, the legislature doesn't meet officially until January 11th for its 60 days, uh, January 11th of 2022. But they, they're, they're doing committee weeks right now. They did one in uh, September 2 in October, they're doing 2 in November. The first one in November is November 1st, which is right upon us. Uh, the third one uh, would begin the 15th of November. There's two schools of thought. Uh, my immediate reaction was that he'll probably schedule that special session uh, for that um, third week when the legislators are all up there. Mm -hmm. um, Pastor Rick had an interesting observation. He said, uh, you know, the, 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 during the committee weeks, the legislature has its, quote, preparatory business to prepare for, um, you know, real you know the session in January. So um, to have less impact on that, because once that session comes into play, it'll, it'll usurp everything else. Um, the thought there might be that he'll do it in the second week and just hold them over for three weeks. Hmm. I mean, they're going to be up there anyway. So that's one aspect, and we're anxiously waiting to know the details. Um, I had a meeting with uh, Senator Baxley, a uh, dinner meeting last uh, two nights ago, and we're just trying to understand the process. <laughs> it was interesting to talk to him when he was first in office way, way back before Governor Scott uh, as a uh, House rep. Uh, in one year, they had nine special sessions. Uh, wow. So that was good. that was all over budgets, and and that was during uh, you know the the big economic downturn back in I guess two thousand eight, if I yeah. remember correctly. But anyway, we're trying to figure out what the process is, and according to him, uh, they still have to put bills up. Um, they can be committee bills, so they can move very quickly. I mean, the governor can literally call a session for three days or two days. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the, the, you know, the Senate would, would do a committee bill and the house would do a committee bill and then, then, you know, they'd hammer that out and send it to the governor in theory. Uh, so it, uh, it'll be fascinating to watch that process. Um, it appears that there are going to be two issues dealt with the mask mandate and, uh, Senator Perry actually has filed a, what we think is a pretty good bill on the mask mandate. It, it basically says that no government agency or school can declare a mask mandate without the legislature having first um, declared it. Um, you know, so it, it takes the, the authority and all this craziness that's been, you know, um, in these 15 mutinous counties over the last couple of months out of the equation. Yeah. Uh, and, and it has some penalty in it. So that's all good. Um, 
on the on the vaccine side, uh, there's two approaches, and and, and uh, we don't have a whole lot of time. But the, the one one approach is to focus just on COVID nineteen, and and declare that businesses and government agencies can't require you to get a vaccine until it's been thoroughly tested. You know, through the eight to ten year process that normally takes to right. to, to, to prove these, uh, that's very narrow, and we're not particularly fans of that because what happens when you have COVID twenty and COVID twenty one, or they're trying to mandate the flu shot or or whatever they? I mean, they just have no right, in my opinion, to tell you what to put in your body. Right. Uh, so the other approach is an interesting one. It was to, it would be to declare it under the Civil Rights Act to be a protected class, like your age and sex and. And so it would it would prohibit a business from asking your status, uh, whether you've been vaccinated or not, on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of like that approach from a legal point of view. It has some downsides, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how that shapes up. So let me kind of stop there. I've covered a lot of ground. No, it's, it's very interesting to me. And just in terms of process, it seems to me the governor could kind of create a straw dog, if you would, for legislation, get it to committees, let them look at it the week before the special session to kind of speed things up. I don't know if that's a possibility. The other thing that occurs to me, this is a very divisive issue. I would guess there's some percentage... I would say significant percentage of people that would actually prefer to have uh, required mass <laughs> and yeah. required vaccines throughout the state. I've met them. I've actually talked with people like that. So, sure. Uh, I, I can't be an easy vote. No, I can't imagine. But I would also believe, you know, our governor plays three-dimensional chess. I, I, I find it hard to believe that he wouldn't have had uh, had the discussion with the leaders of yeah. both chambers to make sure that uh, what happened in Nebraska doesn't happen here. The yeah. Nebraska governor called a special session to deal with vaccines and then couldn't get anything passed. Uh. Um, I, uh, I, you know, I just find it hard to believe that uh, our governor would go down that road and take that risk, but one never knows. You never know. That's so interesting, Keith. Well, thanks for bringing us up to date. That all kind of makes sense right now. And it seems to me if they... They could actually uh, do this in a couple of days if there was some degree of, well, of course, we've got uh, out of, in the Senate, 25 out of 40 uh, senators are Republican. I don't know that they'd all be in concurrence with the governor, but uh, uh, there's a possibility, you know, this is a strong, in terms of state legislature, we, we have a strong presence in terms of the uh, conservatives. Right. So well, it'll be interesting. No, without question. Well, thanks for your feedback on all that, Keith. Say, I understand you've got a couple of events coming up. Yeah, we have an event uh, November 10th at the Silver Spot Theater um, featuring uh, Bill Federer, William Federer. Uh, Your listeners may or may not be aware of him, but he's probably one of the top two or three historians in uh, in the nation that's alive right now. And he writes history uh, through a biblical worldview. So Hmm. whether you agree with that view or not, uh, it'll be a a fascinating session. Um, It costs 15 bucks. So uh, come have some uh, some popcorn with us and, and enjoy him. Uh, that's on February 10th at the Naples Silver Spot Theater. And then, of course, uh, we're we're really now gearing up to uh, to, to help people underst- uh, be aware of a major major uh, event. It's our gala event next March 9th. Uh, tickets are now available and sponsorships are available. Um, and that will be uh, featuring Dennis Prager and Charlie Kirk. Wow, we've invited the governor. Um, you know, he's going to be in full 
uh, campaign mode at that time, so I find it hard to believe that he won't at least make a cameo appearance in uh, Southwest Florida with yeah. all of our voters down here. But it, you know, we one never knows. Uh, we'll keep uh, keep connected to his uh, office, but right. uh, we clearly have uh, Charlie Kirk and uh, Dennis Prager, and that'll be a dynamite um, um, event. Well, get it on your calendar, and you can find out more by visiting the very robust website, goflca.com, goflca.com. Keith, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, sure. Have a great weekend. You Take as well. Care. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Brad Palumbo. He is the domestic correspondent for, our national correspondent, I should say, for the Nash, for the uh, Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show and the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, not only building a new performing arts center, but also creating per terrific productions. You can uh, bring in professional New York style theater at its very best. Visit the website and get tickets, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now, we have with us Brad Palumbo. He is the national correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. Brad, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Brad. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. It is the nation's 
oldest uh, and a free market think tank working to correct, you know, some of the myths about capitalism and some of the support for socialism that's rising among young people. And so that's the work we do every day, trying to educate and inform people about the values of free markets and capitalism. Um, yeah. Yeah, a terrific organization, especially focused on high school and college-age kids. I've been to some of the national conferences. They are ter- It's just inspiring to see young people get excited about freedom and responsibility. So uh, you can visit the website fee, F-E-E dot org, F-E-E dot org. So, Brad, uh, you, you've uh, come up with a couple of interesting concepts here, but the proposed capital gains tax increase. This is something that's being proposed by the progressive end of the uh, Democrat Party in this new uh, infrastructure bill or reconciliation bill. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so there's two different ideas that have been discussed. One is the plan to simply raise the capital gains tax rate, which is an existing tax that you have to pay when you sell a, a stock or an investment of that ilk. Uh, and that, you know, would be harmful. It would uh, discourage investment. It would really hurt angel investing mm-hmm. uh, because you're basically taxing people who invest in productive uh, investments and then make money off of it when that's really something we would want to encourage. Mm-hmm. But even more concerning than that, Bob, is that Janet Yellen, Biden's Treasury Secretary, just is floating and proposing the idea of a tax on unrealized capital gains. And that sounds like People might not know what that means, and that's understandable. But that means that if you hold stocks and the values fluctuate, but you aren't selling them, they just change over a period of time, they want to tax you on the, uh, the, the gain in value, even though you haven't even sold the stock. But on what? Are you going to be able to write it off when it crashes you yeah. know, two weeks later? So it's a really crazy and radical idea that Janet Yellen's pushing. Uh, about this uh, taxing unrealized capital gains. Yeah, pretty uh, draconian, and uh, it's, it's uh, well, it just makes me wonder. Also, are they proposing other assets like your home or uh, uh, real estate investments as well? Well, not yet, but that's where it starts. This is yeah. what they do. <laughs> Good point. They say, for example, oh, well, the tax on unrealized capital gains will only apply to billionaires. Yeah. And it's like, sure, just like at first, the income tax only applied to like 5% of society, and now we all pay it, that's right? right? That's this, exactly This is right. how it always starts. Absolutely. So he also he had another concept that I found very interesting as well, is uh, the, the attempt to make our pandemic life permanent. To me, that means mass vaccines and so forth, uh, just changing our freedoms. Give us your thoughts behind that. Yeah, look, that's what the government does. When they have a crisis that they can use to expand their power, spend more of our money, infringe on our liberties, they do. They lean into that crisis, uh, and they try to make it permanent. So things like mask mandates are are coming back in many places across the country. Uh, and even though, you know, there's safe and effective vaccines for anybody that chooses, uh, and it should be a choice, chooses to take them, so they're, but they still are forcing, you know, three-year-olds into masks yeah. in schools and child care facilities, even though they're at no risk from COVID. Uh, so some of this stuff they will try to make permanent because it's ultimately not about safety or not just about safety for sure, but it's about power. And politicians, once they get to exercise power, never want to give it up. 
That's so true, Brad. And I read this morning that uh, masks have little, if no, impact on the safety of uh, from COVID-19. In fact, the only masks that uh, provide any kind of protection are those N95 masks, which I've never had one or never owned it, but the cloth masks do absolutely nothing whatsoever. And I also read that the people uh, that uh, have been double vaccinated, fully vaccinated, some large percentage of them still wear a mask. Can you believe that? Well, I actually can believe that, Bob, because it's become a, a thing of social conformity. You know, in Washington, D.C., people walk around the outside, not going near anyone else, wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. I see people riding a bicycle outdoors wearing a mask. Anyone who even takes the time to understand, you know, the very basics of how COVID is spread, it doesn't spread outdoors almost at all, and it only spreads from minutes of extended contact with somebody, not from riding a bike and passing someone by on the street. Yet they're still wearing the masks, and that's because for many people it's become a political signal. We're one of the good ones. We follow the science. We worship Dr. Fauci. We hate Donald Trump. But I don't think that public health measures should be done on the basis of political signaling, and I actually think it's a sign of a sick society. I couldn't agree more. In fact, it occurred to me to go out and get a couple of hazmat suits for Linda and I so we could go to dinner and just really do some serious virtue signaling. (laughs) Nobody could... uh, mask carrying you if you did that <laughs> it's true brad but it's so insane and you're absolutely right people i, I don't know what what is the to me the instinct is to protect our precious freedoms for some people i guess the instinct is to conform and to uh, go along to get along yeah well and, and it comes from a place of human nature which is that people are scared and they hate the unknown and they hate the uncertain uh, but so when people promise them, if you just give us more power, you know, we'll keep you safe. We'll protect you. We'll stop these things that are scary that you can't control. There's a human instinct to, to give in to that, but it doesn't work. Uh, when you give up your freedom in, in hopes of securing your safety, you end up with neither. Uh, and we've seen that time and time again throughout history. So, I I have some sympathy for people who've been scared beyond belief by some very alarmist uh, rhetoric and coverage of these issues, but ultimately they're not helping themselves by behaving like this. No, and of course it's in large part because of misinformation. People think they're going to go become hospitalized if they get COVID. The percentages among people, uh, some people, they think is as high as 50%. But we realize, actually, the statistics show us the the possibility of hospitalization is way below 5%. So it's pretty incredible. By the way, uh, your quote, uh, you end up with neither. If you uh, give up a part of your freedom for security, you end up with neither. goes back to Benjamin Franklin. Yep. Yeah, long way. So it's a, it's a true, it's a universal truth. Brad, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary on the show. A reminder, listeners, the website is fee.org, F-E-E.org. Brad, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Have a good morning. You as well. Thank you, Brad. All right, coming up, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network.
you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees. I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. It's now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples. Right now we have with us Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and no one in D.C. has since, I, I, I think, Coolidge. <laughs> yes, Coolidge was a great president, by the way. Well, thank you, Seton. Now, you wrote a great column. Interior Department occupation, D.C. yet again ignores yet another leftist, riotous insurrection. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, this, this happened now almost two weeks ago. Um, the leftist morons were upset with the Interior Department. They're Basically, Biden has stopped issuing uh, any permits to get any oil off of any government land. And for those of you who don't know, two-thirds of the land west of the Mississippi is owned by the federal government. So much of the oil exploration that goes on in the United States goes on on federal land. and, And you have to get permission permits from the federal government to do this. Well, they basically put a moratorium on it, and that's, that's what that's the, uh, the media doesn't talk about it, but that's one of the reasons why you don't have, you know, he's begging OPEC for more oil, and he's approving, you know, this is hilarious. After three years of the Trump-Russia collusion lie, Biden's put the kibosh on all U.S. oil permitting while 
approving the, the, the pipeline for Russia. Oh, the irony. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so um, you know, everybody can drill for oil except us. And, and uh, that's one of the reasons we've seen natural gas triple in price. The other reason being, one, we can't get it. And two, that's what everyone uses to back up all the fake energy sources Biden insists we ramp up and spend money on. And so the, the shortage combined with the lack of new extraction has crushed prices on that. Yep. And it, anyway, so the left doesn't want him to issue any permits. So they went and protested the Interior Department because the Interior Department has a hand in the Interior and deciding which portions of federal land that have oil are, are going to be permitted to extract the oil. And they went there to protest any permitting at all, and in the pro- and as part of their protest, they invaded the Interior Department building and took it over for a while, and, you know, it was, it was, a, it was, it was like a college do- uh, uh, administration building in the 60s. Or well, like um, that January they, 6th. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, well, no, it's not like January 6th, because January 6th wasn't an insurrection right. per the FBI. Right. This whole investigation... Um, of the, uh, about about over a month ago, and on a Friday, the FBI announced we have zero evidence that January sixth was an insurrection. Right. And I said, I, I uh, there's a radio host in your old neck of the woods, DC, who's now nationally syndicated, Chris Barrett, and I texted him and said, this won't stop anything in DC. But here's an interesting factoid, <laughs> and of course, all of these major announcements, you know, the entirety of Steve Bannon being held in contempt of Congress has happened after the FBI said this wasn't an insurrection. Right. Um, so, you know, and, and of course, there have been examples for the last two years, going back into the Trump administration, of leftists uh, burning, attacking, taking over government buildings, government courthouses all over the country, all of which are, by definition, insurrections. Right. Because you're attacking the authority of the federal government. And they're attacking state level and local right. government offices, too. Um, all of which, by definition, are insurrections. But the one that isn't, by definition, per the FBI, is the only one we talk about two years later. It's just, it's completely absurd. It is absurd, uh, Seton, and it, I think it just underscores how we have two uh, two levels of government or two levels of justice here in the United States. One uh, uh, totally ignores Hunter Biden and all of his mischief. Oh. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know, and they want to hold Steve Bannon in contempt of Congress. Meanwhile, we've, you know, we've got, just to pick one glaring example, because a leftist senator got him to say it, Ron Wyden, Oregon senator, Democrat, right. leftist, was question he's he's good on government spying he's good on that issue mm-hmm. years ago he asked James Clapper who was head, head of one of the security agencies or one of the or one of the heads of the security agencies I forget what his damn position was are you spying on Americans and he said no we're not not knowingly yeah. and then we find out the NSA National Security Administration is collecting all our data from all our cell phone calls and all our texts and emails right and that's that's lying before congress Mm -hmm. was he prosecuted no they're going to prosecute bannon 
They prosecuted Roger Stone for literally nothing. They showed up at his house with land cops for his front yard and water cops for his canal backyard. Yeah. Are they going to prosecute Roger Stone? Are they going to prosecute Fauci? No. <laughs> I mean, he he lied before Congress. Right. He said we weren't funding gain of function research in China. We are. Yeah. He knows because he, he signed off on it right. with our money. And he had um, he, he was given the opportunity. He was hurting gi- beagles. Go he, ahead. Yeah, he was given the opportunity to withdraw his statement by. And he didn't do it. Yeah. Because he knows he's not going to get prosecuted. Yeah, just it's a shame. And have it. I mean, this is this is why I'm a complete cynic. I mean, you watch this over and over and over again. John Brennan lied before Congress. James Comey lied before Congress. These people don't get prosecuted. We used to get, you know, uh, the conservatives all got, got all excited because you know uh, Trey Gowdy would get these people to lie before Congress because he was a former prosecutor who became a congressman. He's now out of Congress. And I'm like, I'll get excited when he files charges against one of them. Yeah. Nothing it, comes you of know, it. You got to lie. Great. He lied to you. You're a member of Congress. That's contempt of Congress. File charges against him. Never happens. Right. But Roger Stone and Paul Manafort go to prison. It's absurd. It is absurd. And did you see Merrick Garland's testimony yesterday by any chance? I saw parts of it. I didn't watch the whole damn thing, but I saw parts of it. Yeah. it it's... He should thank God Republicans are finally saying he, someone should resign. Yeah. They always say this is this is a shame and an embarrassment to your office and blah blah blah. At least now they're saying you should leave your office. Right. It was, I thought it was uh, quite well done. Obviously, nothing's going to come of it. Remember that I call this oversight theater. Yeah. Right. It the is video a- looks great, but then nothing ever comes of it. Yeah. I mean, uh, the T dot pot dome thing back in the twenties. I mean, people actually went to jail as a result of investigations by Congress. Right. Right now, right. nothing happens. Nothing well, no, ever happens. Something's going to happen. Steve Bannon's going to go to prison. <laughs> He's not going to go to prison. Steve, Steve Bannon, who had been out of the White House for two plus years, yeah. By the time January six rolled around, is going to go to prison for January six which the FBI has already said wasn't an insurrection, yeah. which you knew from the very beginning, as I think I discussed on your th- show, what was the horned-headed guy's p- vegan plan for taking and holding power? No. What, 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 was the ins- <laughs> what was the insurrection plan? Our sides decide with all the guns. How come nobody in the insurrection, the alleged insurrection, had guns? In the, in, the, in the capital. Hey, and this, this whole thing is very insidious, this Epps guy. And uh, the, there's a clearly paid informants by the FBI who orchestrated well, this entire... That one guy on the video, yeah. It's the, just... We need to go into the Capitol. I, uh, yeah. I'll go to prison. We should go to prison. We should invade the Capitol. And one guy, one guy in the crowd goes... Fed, he's a fed. Don't listen to him. He's a fed. <laughs> Absolutely. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. I encourage you to visit the very robust website, lessgovernment.org. Take a look at his column on the Interior Department occupations. Really good. Seton, I always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, uh, the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network.
The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Among their programs is creating policies to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. I hope you'll visit the website, thefga.org, thefga.org. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Well, Bob, it's a, it's a pleasure to be back in Naples and uh, and uh, on your show, as always. Well, thank you, Bill. Great to have you back in town, too. I guess you made the trip down from uh, from upstate New York. Yeah, we did, and uh, uh, it was, as I said earlier, it's, it was an uneventful trip with uh, Zsa Zsa and Ava, and uh, the pets traveled well. The uh, Best Westerns, uh, where we always stay at, were, were fine, and uh, uh, no complaints, other That's... than the prices of gas, Bob, $4.15 a gallon, some places four oh five. dollars We have to run high test in that SUV, but... Um, I'll tell you what, we were. I, I I total it up. We spent about two hundred and fifty dollars on gas just from New oh. York down to here. Yeah, well, sign of the times, Bill. Yes, sir. So <laughs> I understand you have some concerns about first responders here in the Paradise Coast. Well, I do, and I had one other thing I wanted to run by. If we don't run out of town, uh, out of time, um, the um, the you know I don't think that the the average citizen realizes um what a mess this city is in and and i say that with all sincerity um you know for many years bob um when i served with other good councils um one of the things that makes the city of naples florida so great is our our police our police force okay uh we always had the the tops um uh in in our officers uh um ladies the ladies and gentlemen that serve for us and now we are at the bottom of the barrel on the pay scale, 
um, compared to cities similar to ours in, in, in Florida. Um, and we are in, in dire straits. They don't seem to want to talk about it, but they don't want to pay them either. Hmm. And I don't, it's, it, it just kind of is beyond my thinking of why we shouldn't be right up there with the top pay uh, scale. And it's not like the city doesn't have money, Bob. We can spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on water projects and, and sewer lines and everything else you can possibly think of. But um, this should be a number one priority. We need to get them back up into the range where they should be, whereas we get applications. Uh, not having our officers looking elsewhere for jobs because they just can't make it. Um, they can't seem to get together on a contract um, uh, to, to make this work. And um, I'm seeing it and I'm hearing it. Um, and you have some disgruntled um, first responders out there. And, yeah. um, you know, you're going to see the results of that. In, and we can talk about it more next week, but you're going to start seeing some of the results of that when they start closing off uh, events that they were doing because we don't have the staff to man them. Oh, that's uh, shocking news. I, I wasn't even aware of that. Where's the union in all this? They usually step well, up. Well, the and... union is, listen, the union's trying to negotiate a contract, to the best of my understanding, and um, it's, it's, it's council that's balking. Uh, they wanted to offer him a, a, a one-year contract, and the officer said, no, we're not doing that. And, and um, now they've got brought it up to three, but it's the dollar amount that's that's so sadly lacking. They need to make one big effort and get them back to where they belong, where people, where, where prospective officers um, and first responders want to work for Naples, Florida. Yeah. Because that's what keeps us a top-ranked city. Absolutely. Um, so... You know, more on that uh, will come. But and then the other thing, I, I'm sure you saw, you know, what the bus drivers did up in Lee County the other day um, when they they went on strike. They left our kids stranded. Uh, I say hours. I, they're all hours. So yep. um, they left them stranded at bus stops. They didn't get picked up to go to school. I mean, isn't there enough going on? where these people have to realize what's the, what is the matter with them? Yeah. Uh, if they have a problem. And it's a work-related problem. I'm talking about the bus drivers and everything else. Then let then then be heard. Uh, sit down with your union and do what you need to do to negotiate a contract with Lee County or whomever it is that they that they um, work with. Um, don't just call in sick and leave the kids stranded. Uh, I I thought that was terrible. I don't know your thoughts. No, that's that's pretty sick, actually. I mean, to to put the kids in the middle, that's just unbelievable. You'd you'd like to think that. Uh, I mean, those things they have a right to negotiate and to. Uh, they're of course. Probably looking for more pay. I have no idea what their issues are, but. Uh, yeah, uh, that was it. They were they were talking about. I saw it on 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 the news last night. They they were talking about um, uh, working conditions and uh, not enough time off and this and that and the other thing and it's like. Well, people, you can make yourself hurt in another way, um, yeah. but but don't just call in sick and realize, you know, you're going to tell me that of the 88 that called in, they don't have kids of their own. Well, they think it was funny. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? I do know exactly what you're talking about. It's just a really sad when, when and that's what uh, these uh, teachers unions do on some occasions when they put the kids in the middle and don't show up for, uh, for work. Right. Uh, right. Some Some unions are good. Most unions don't provide much value, quite frankly, in, in my opinion. Right, so, right. Um, I, <laughs> I can go back a lot of years, Bob, when you were a youngster. 
um, and I was too first selling cars uh, for Chevrolet when the, when we the salesmen became teamsters of all things. Okay, because our working hours were so bad. We were working nine to nine, pretty much six days a week, and. Uh, really crummy working conditions. I was in my 20s then, okay? So it's yeah. a long time ago. And a Teamster representative came in because all the drivers were, you know, from the from the uh, uh, the car carriers. And they they said, you guys need to need to join us. And we did. And I'll, I'll never forget the results. They were very, very good results. And it was, it was a good union. I mean, that's so long ago that it's hard to remember. But like you said, some of them are good and some of them don't provide much value. But hey, They've been around a long time. So. Well, the other, the other thing, too, is that uh, I think we've come to realize the importance of uh, and value employees. Uh, so uh, we realize how much it costs us to try and replace a good car salesman, for example. It's just really hard to to, uh, to replace somebody like that. So you want to treat them properly. So you have three constituents that the old saying in business is certainly your customers, but also right. your employees and, uh, and uh, everybody else. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the same, and it's, as I say, you ask about the police union, I mean, they're doing whatever, I mean, we always could negotiate, and it would come to council, and we would say, we would, uh, at least for me, I'll speak for me, at least when I was mayor, um, and my council, we could always come to terms where nobody got everything they wanted, okay, but gosh darn it, um, these these guys and gals deserve yeah. uh um, um, to be because of Naples and because of where we are and where we work and who we are and what the people expect, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and if you don't know about it, you're going to be upset about it. I can tell you that. Absolutely. I mean, it, it seems so out of step with the position that the governor seems to be taking. He's saying, look, I want to try and get people down here. We're going to give right. $5,000 bonuses for people that are being laid off in other cities because of these mandates. So right. it seems to me that uh, Florida, of all places, I'm talking about Naples, the Paradise Coast, we should be paying our first responders very well uh, because exactly. of we, we value their protection and what they well, do. And, yeah, and, and, and you're right. And it's a small trickle-down effect, you know, that's going to that's gonna start happening and people are going to start noticing and say, hey, what's going on? And, then you know, council's going to have to make a big move. You can't just offer them, uh, um, you know, a three-year contract with 3% or whatever that number is. Um, it's just it's just not going to work, and they're not going to buy it. Yeah. But um, I'm not a union negotiator, nor am I involved in it. But I sure hear enough. So huh. you know. Well, Bill, I really appreciate your enlightening on these these important issues. My goodness, I hope uh, the city council will step up. And we're talking about people that are seeing their buying power diminish. Uh, because of inflation right now, well, you talked about right. gas prices, but that's also in the grocery store and every place else. So uh, we should keep yeah. them current. Yeah. So. Well, Bill, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, Bob, my pleasure. Happy Halloween. And uh, are you going to go out trick-or-treating? You know, I may pass on that one this, this, <laughs> this time. Bill, how about you? <laughs> <laughs> you could go dressed as a mayor, and I could go uh, dressed as a talk show host. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great one, Bob. Good talking with you. You as well. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Learned a lot. Uh, tomorrow, we'll visit with William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. Uh, we'll visit with Andrew Joppa. He's going to come make a special uh, visit tomorrow. I want to talk to him about uh, who we are, which is a topic we didn't discuss on Wednesday. Michael Cannon is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, and Dave Beagle, the author at The Devil at Our Doorstep, 
quote of the devil at our doorstep will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your commentary and feedback here on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.